the Wallop Roundup. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Wallop Roundup. We are going to be covering the news of the wrestling world for June of 2023. I am Kyle Joseph. With me, as always, is my co-host, Rylan Turner. Rylan, how are you doing? Fantastic, man. I'm ready to talk about pro wrestling. It's, it's, it's been a while. It has been too long. And we have a guest. We are doing uh, guests for our shows as we are debuting them. So our guest today, um, writing the column in layman's terms on wrestling headlines, um, it is Marissa McCool. How are you doing today, Marissa? Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Uh, you can check out that column uh, under the name Riz Layman. Um very exciting to have you on. Um, we have a bit of a past connection with another podcast that you edit. And so I'm excited to, I've been wanting to talk to you about wrestling for a while. So I'm excited to have you on. Oh yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, Oh, you get these jokes. We're friends now. It's <laughs> <laughs> so always that secret little world that those little connections that is, is always very entertaining. It's a very interesting subculture. It, it really, really is. We're about to find um, out that you have so the most. We're, to, we're about to find out that you have the most Jim Cornette op opinions of all time, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, oh, Lord? <laughs> yeah, there's there is no Jim Cornette on this on this. Um, and if he decides to block me as a result of that, I will take that as a badge of honor. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, we have to talk about some sad news first, and we do like to get the sadder news um, off the top with our news-related coverage. And we have two wrestling passings from the last month that are both very, very sad. Uh, the first one, uh, the Iron Sheik passed away at 80 years old early this in June. And I do want to say... Uh, because I didn't watch a ton of Iron Sheik. It was, just wasn't really my era in terms of wrestling um, in that the whole new generation thing. But I did really, really appreciate that Twitter got Hulk Hogan trending, uh, <laughs> saying fuck the Hulk Hogan one more time. Because uh, uh, Iron Sheik's presence on Twitter was the stuff of legends. That if you go back, Iron Sheik's presence was <laughs> absolutely. If you go back and you look at the last like week of the Iron Sheik's Twitter, it was incredible. It was just incredible, just <laughs> gold after gold after gold tweet. And this is in an era of Twitter where tweets are awful to begin with. And when you see so much positivity come out of something like this, it's really nice. And that's like the, I I'm with you, Kyle. Like I didn't spend a lot of time watching the iron Sheik. Uh, always. Uh, I feel like underappreciated promo, uh, his hate for Hulk Hogan fuels everything I have in me. Uh, I love it. Um, and just an entertaining character and a guy that, you know, is, was beloved by pretty much everybody. Like, I mean, even if you talk about Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan had nothing bad to say about this guy. And, and considering the last, like, two decades of him just being, you know, shit on by, by Iron Sheik, nobody had a bad thing to say about this guy. So, and he lived an incredible life, too. Mm. 
Uh, Marissa, did you have anything that you wanted to say with regards to uh, Iron Sheik? Well, first of all, I think no one had a bad thing to say about them because they didn't want to find out what would happen if they did. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true. But Iron Sheik, like, it was, he was before my time, too, so I don't know a lot about his wrestling days, but I do know I would just sit and listen to him talk about anything because it was hilarious, and I'm not sure if it was intended to be. <laughs> a, a level of intensity that few could match. <laughs> yes! And, um, <laughs> That, that Howard Stern interview will go down as one of the most, like, like those moments where you, you just really don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, he he made an appearance in, in Robot Chicken uh, voicing himself in, in a Lawrence of Arabia parody that still makes me laugh to this day. Um, survived by his longtime wife and children, um, obviously condolences to family and clearly the entire wrestling world of friends um because we yeah we lost a legend um one more wrestling death that we sadly have to talk about um recent as well as the passing of the wrestler draws uh rylan this was more your era than it was uh thoughts on darren Drozdov and his sort of career and far too sudden passing. One of the, the, the greats to come through this sport. He's a, a natural athlete, played in the NFL, played, I believe, in the CFL as well, uh, mm-hmm. was scooped up by the WWE in uh, the mid-90s, uh, sent to ECW to season a little bit, and then brought back, uh, don't get me wrong, some of the stuff they did with him, uh, or all of the stuff they did with him was ridiculous, uh, being the third member of LOD and uh, basically adding to all the problems at the time that Hawk was having, and then pushing him off the Titantron, like terrible storylines, really. Um, and then I believe afterwards he was paired with Albert uh at, this is a guy who legendary le- legendarily is was one of the nicest guys in the world. Everybody, another person that uh, nobody has a bad thing to say about. Unfortunately, his career was shortened in, in 1999 when uh, he was dropped on his neck and uh, paralyzed from the waist down. Um, and uh, his career ended obviously in that moment. Um, very famous for being in the documentary Beyond the Mat, where he uh, met with Vince McMahon and talked to him about how he could puke on command. And, uh, like, this guy's career might be defined by Vince McMahon going, he's gonna puke! He's gonna puke! And not being able to deliver it in the office, which obviously disappointed Vince. Uh, (laughs) But that being said, uh, He's done a lot of great things post wrestling um, and always been a proponent of, you know, sharing how wonderful wrestling can be. Uh, obviously, like uh, the, the injury aside, never blamed uh, D'Lo Brown for the situation and kept very close with him for over the years. Uh, this is one of those guys that it is, it's really unfortunate um, that he, he's passed his career was uh, i guess uh if you look back on it it was a, a bunch of unfortunate situations but uh I, again a guy that everybody had a nice thing to say about so uh, definitely a very sad loss 
Uh, Marissa, do you have any additional thoughts on draws? It was very unique in an era where people were pretty unique. Like, the Attitude Era is filled with interesting characters, and he managed to stand out despite some of the loudest and most unique characters in wrestling history being around him. And that that says something about his personality and his charisma. I, I never thought he was particularly interesting in the ring, but his character made up for that. But once again, the Attitude Era wasn't based on work rate or wrestling ability anyway, so it didn't really matter a whole lot. But yeah, he, he, he just always seemed like he was having the time of his life. And I really respect how there are so many people who could have taken the chance to like bury the person that hurt them. I mean, how many people still hold grudges from 20, 30 years ago in the wrestling industry? So the way he handled it with grace and the way that he didn't destroy Delo's heart when he could have, because when someone accidentally breaks your neck and it was just a freak accident, like we've seen enough people in wrestling who will just throw that person under the bus and he never did. And I think that is not only noteworthy, but commendable. Absolutely. Um, only Absolutely. 54 years old, very sad uh, situation. And again, condolences to loved ones uh, for his passing, it's always very difficult to transition from this. I feel like I say this way too often. There's way too many <laughs> wrestling deaths. Mm-hmm. There's way too many early wrestling deaths. It's a very, very sad industry sometimes. It's not nearly as bad as it used to be. Mm, that is very true. Absolutely. It, it was It was bad. but Like 04 through 07 was just a nightmare for that. Yeah, fortunately, it does appear that health and safety has at very least improved. Um, if, the culture, too, like the know, culture still, of, the, of the boys yes. is, is a lot different. And and it's it's it, it honestly, it's it, it's a really great thing to see because you're not going out. I mean, sure, go out, party, have a good time. But it, it, it doesn't it, it isn't affecting this generation of wrestlers as it once did. So we will move on as an abrupt left turn, the only way we can do it here. And let's talk about Money in the Bank, which as of the, the night we're taping this aired a few hours ago. Ryland and I have yet to see it. Uh, Marissa did. Why don't we start with Marissa? What were your thoughts on the Money in the Bank show? So I'll say straight up, I'm not a WWE fan anymore, and I haven't been for some time, but I, I watch the pay-per-views because they're free mm. on on our cable, and it, there are still some people that I know from back in the day that I try to keep track of their careers, but I, I cover AEW, I don't cover WWE, but how many times are they going to have somebody that is just prime-built so over, so ridiculously over, and they have the perfect opportunity, and then they go, what? People like that? No, we're not going to do that, pal. Like, it's just, it, I'm oh so God. sick that, of it. That, it, that it, it seems intentional at this point, doesn't it? It does. That, that impression I mean, was spot on. That was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming you're referring to LA Knight. Yes. Like, th- that was the one thing. Like it, it, it was L.A. Night. Before that, it was it was Zane. It was Rhodes. It was Owens. It was McIntyre. Just all these people that are lined up for the pop of the century, and they they just don't do it. And I don't get it. And especially, and I'll say this: Money in the Bank. As much as I, you know, 
I would have loved to watch Ricochet win. And there's never not a reason to give Ricochet all the things, WWE. But Money in the Bank works really, really well as a heel tool. And LA Knight is such a good heel. Uh, not anymore. I know he's. I mean, <laughs> he's over with now. the crowd too. But like, but you can still see him, you know, cashing the briefcase in in a healy way. And even if he's, you know, even if the fans cheer, that's still, you know, you're never going to feel bad about the fans cheering somebody. Uh, WWE really doesn't seem to want to strike when the iron is hot, and. I will say this for the Triple H era, and I've made this complaint quite a few times at this point. The Triple H era of WWE has been marred, unfortunately, by playing it so safe. And I will give them some credit for choosing the Money in the Bank winners that they did, but I I said the last Royal Rumble, the Rumble was really good. But those winners could not have been more predictable. Uh And it's been sort of the story of, okay, the safest option is always going to win. And that's meant, you know, Roman is going to hold on to that title for forever. It's Seth Rollins winning the heavyweight championship. I'm not super upset about that, obviously, but that's, you know, everything seems to be, we need to put everything into a safe pair of hands. We cannot take any risks or capitalize on anybody who's all of a sudden become successful or anything like that. It has to be just the established people that we trust. And that's fine because those established people are doing pretty good work, but that also leads us to when was the last time we saw like a title change? And yes, I know the women's tag team titles changed in for bizarre, a bizarre time for that to happen too. But the U.S. title has been held forever. Um, the Intercontinental title, I'm not unhappy with the reign, but it's been held for a long time. Obviously, Roman Reigns and his thousand-plus-day extravaganza, it does get to the point where I feel like they need to try something different. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just whinging. I'm not sure. Like, we, we came from the era where there was a lot of hot potato title belts, right? Like, t- titles would change hands to the point that it doesn't mean anything. But now I think they've overcorrected, where long title reigns don't mean anything if everybody's doing it. Yeah. And I understand they want Gunther, I'm still never going to get used to that, am I, um, to break the record. And he's very exciting to watch in terms of his wrestling. So I'm, I'm perfectly fine with him breaking the IC title record, but I do think hopefully that leads to him being built towards, you know, main event status come next WrestleMania. He should be wrestling for, um, the, like the uh, world championship rather than the IC title. Um, the Roman thing, it seems like we're moving towards the end. That's nice. It seemed like that for a long time, though. (laughs) And look, like I'm the first to say that I think that this is some of the best storytelling that WWE has ever done, if not the best storytelling they've ever done. Everybody's been playing their role very well in this. Jey Uso has elevated his game through the roof. Even Jimmy Uso. Uh, Solo Sokoa came in hot and pretty much stayed that way. Like, he hasn't lost any of that uh, mm. first initial luster. Uh, and even with a loss to Cody, like, he didn't lose any of that that 
great stuff that he had. And Roman, like, as much as I do agree that the title reign has gone way too long at this point, he's beaten everybody and nobody looks credible. Um, I, I can't knock a guy's performance. And I think that there have been elements of Roman Reigns' game that has, you know, made him a, a surefire Hall of Famer. Whereas before, I would wouldn't. I, while as much as WWE wants to push that down our throats, I wouldn't have put him there. Now I think he's got that definitely. This this reign for him has been incredibly delivered, and it's hard to believe that like we thought that he was getting the Rock at WrestleMania, and this is how far we've come. So. What's really sad to me, and the thing that is worrying, I guess, or not worrying, but it's a sign of the times. Damien Priest won the men's ladder bank, uh, Money in the Bank ladder match. Do, do any of you believe that he could be Roman? No. 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 Yeah. That, and I know he's on Raw. And the World Heavyweight Championship exists, and there's now an out for them so that he doesn't have to challenge for the U.S. title and lose. Um, still, still makes me laugh. Um, <clears throat> but the fact that the winner of Money in the Bank, even with the element of surprise, we have absolutely no faith could beat Roman Reigns is a sign that... Yes, you want to book your champion strong, but this is excessive. I mean, they've already made that title seem pretty secondary <laughs> just by the way that it exists, where Triple H is just like, well, you know, if nobody can beat Roman, we have to beat someone. We have to have someone <laughs> on here that we can have a title that changes hands, everybody. So <laughs> it's just like, I. It, they they pitched it as a freaking like oh here's your silver medal good for you nobody can beat Roman so you guys play with this that's nice everyone pat so, Seth Rollins on the head good job Seth mm -hmm. the, it, it went from the great uh, the uh, what is it the, what, what do they used to call it? the 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 big gold belt to the mid gold belt that's that's what it's become <laughs> and man it hurts. To think that Seth Rollins versus Finn Balor is for a secondary championship. And moreover, if you want the sign that this, you know, is a secondary belt, I don't seem to recall the the tag match being a for a title. And Seth and Finn go on, aren't going on last because <laughs> it's not the real world championship. It's the one that we have on on the Red Show. You should just call it the TV title and get it over with. <laughs> um, um, just as a quick rundown uh, of the show, uh, Damian Priest and uh, Io Sky are the Money in the Bank winners. Uh, I should say, I'm very excited for the Io Sky um, era. Mm -hmm. I, you know, been as long as I've been watching NXT. Um, she, I was talking uh, before we started recording that there was seemed like there was the summer of the pandemic. She was jumping off of some set piece every every other month. Um, she had the summer of jumping off of things, and seeing her come back with damage control and everything that she's done as a part of that, this feels like an excellent choice. And I'm super excited to see whatever she decides to do. Her versus Oscar might be like. That would be amazing, uh, but that's just me. 
Uh, I, I do want to touch on one thing with the uh, the men's money in the bank ladder match. I, I know, Marissa, you mentioned that L.A. Knight was, you know, primed and ready for that opportunity. I don't think he's hurt by it. I really don't. I think that he's so over at this point. Do I like L.A. Knight? Yeah, I do. I really do. But... Damien Priest has really also had a great year and he's been able to have some great matches with the likes of Edge and Bad Bunny. He, he pulled a great match out of Bad Bunny. Um, he's, he's done some really good work and I, and I think that he's capable enough to hold that world title. And I know that, you know, the theory with LA Knight is we have very limited time to, to make this happen with him. But I also feel the same way about Damien Priest and, uh, I don't think he's. I don't think LA Knight's hurt by it. I, I think that yes, definitely, WWE does like to pull the rug from under us with uh, who we like and how successful they're going to be. But I think that Damian Priest, for me, would have been like the the guy who I would have chose next. Certainly not Logan Paul. Certainly not Logan Paul. Like, don't get me wrong. No. He can go in there and have his. 15, 20 minute banger with everybody in out there. But like, I don't want to see that guy be world champion. So I'm, I'm not as, as low on priest as you, you, you would mention. It's not that I'm low on him so much as it is. It's in a vacuum. Yeah. I totally agree with you, but this is the last two years of just having these ready made moments of, of friggin' pops that would still be on YouTube being played 20 years from now because the the big surprise pop or the big win pop is one of the best things about wrestling. And you go down from you had McIntyre at Clash of the Castle. You had Cody at WrestleMania. You had Sammy in Montreal. You had all these opportunities. And it just seems like they just screw with us every single time. And that's part of what I enjoy about watching AEW is I don't feel like I'm being punished for liking things. <laughs> I also, uh, as a sort of an addendum to that, we're falling into what I am now going to be terming the Ricky Starks effect. <laughs> being super popular needs to lead to something. Otherwise, you're just well going to waste it. Hard to agree there. Yeah, I don't disagree. All. Like we've definitely we've definitely had a year of guys getting to that level and then not getting there. Uh, I I just think that there's something about L.A. Night where I'm like I feel like he's going to come out on top of this situation, and I like I, I think that guy's going like, to steal a phrase from Cameron Grimes. Oh, Cameron Grimes! That was a long time ago. Um, is he? Did he get called up? I feel he like did. he got called up, and I have not heard from him since. He beat Baron Corbin very quickly on SmackDown once, and I haven't heard anything since. Amazing. <laughs> Another successful NXT call-up for WWE. <laughs> what were that? What, what were the highlights of Money in the Bank this year? Like we had the, obviously the big British crowd. Like what, what were some of the highlights? Well, what's Logan Paul almost broke his damn neck. <laughs> what did he do this time? Is a well, L.A. Knight pushed him and Ricochet off a ladder, and I'm pretty sure they were supposed to go through a table from that, but they fell short. So they almost tried to set themselves up for a Spanish fly to go through the tables, but neither of them had their footing. So when they when they flipped over and went to the tables, Logan landed right on his damn head. Oh, and oh no. I despise oh. him, but I still don't want him to break his neck. That was ugly as hell. But... Other than that, I would say that the Cena surprise return pop, that was pretty cool. And 
the the main event as much as i am sick of all four of them like at least somebody actually beat him for once <laughs> like i i've never been a fan of roman reigns i admit that he's a lot better than he used to be and the change in his character worked really well but the fact that he hadn't been pinned in three and a half years it, it was just irritating but the best part was the crowd it really was no doubt no doubt Last thing I want to ask before um, we move on to the next topic. Uh, are we still, is Cody Rhodes still telling his story? And if so, does his story go through Dominic Mysterio? Because <laughs> this feels this feels like chapters we didn't need to add to this, what was supposed to be a very clear and concise story. They missed it. They missed the chance. He could have won at WrestleMania and it would have been the massive pop in the concluded story. And now it just feels like, oh, yeah, that was a thing that happened. Remember? Yeah, I get is SummerSlam still a possibility Like it, at this point. I feel like it's going to have to be one of the Usos. I don't know if anyone else can even be considered credibly on his level. And I, for, for me, like, I, I feel like Roman would be he would be the guy who goes. No, we're going to make one of the Usos beat me. That's going to be the way we're doing it. Not Drew, not Sammy, not Cody. It's going to be Jay. Poor Drew. Drew wasn't even on the show. He was. He returned to... to, to he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he returned to square oh, up with Gunther. Sorry. Oh, right. Yes. Well, that's something, at least. Unfortunately, I'm pretty sure they want to break that record, and that doesn't break until October, right? That's not my deal. Um, all right. Moving on to our next topic. Um, speaking of things I have not watched, AEW Collision is a thing now. And AEW has, um, they got all of their anchor boys together and they put some of them in one room and some of them in another room. And now everything's good now. Um, so Collision has debuted. There have been now, I believe, two episodes, three episodes of it so far. Um, I, have either of you watched Collision, A, and B, early thoughts on the show? Marissa, you go. I freaking love Collision. I do, too. Well, that's I good. It, it is not only distinct in terms of who's on it, but the matches feel different. It feels like there's going to be more time dedicated to them. And the aesthetic is different. It's, it's just got a different vibe to it. Like the first episode, it felt like the new AEW all over again. And not even going into the details of who won and who did what. But they've, they've managed to do what they always wanted to do with Raw and SmackDown. Make them feel distinct and separate from each other. But they mostly just slap a different coat of paint on it. This feels like an actual separate brand. And it feels not competing with dynamite but it feels separate from dynamite in a good way i 100 percent agree i think that everything they've done aesthetically with the show has been great you're right the matches feel more important they feel like they get more time they still got to get the women out of the 9 15 time slot that's ridiculous like come on now like we i understand occasionally the yes absolutely 100 percent. but um no, I, I've been really impressed with the show so far. Uh, I mean, I'm a big CM Punk guy, so like I, I enjoy his presence back on AEW television. Um, and I, I think that there's there's definitely interesting stories being told 
on this program. The return of Miro and Andrade has been great. Andrade having two back-to-back great matches with Buddy uh, Matthews and with, uh, uh, what's his name? What's his name? Brody um, King. Brody King, thank you. Um, back-to-back great matches week to week. Love him winning with the figure eight, too. I think that that's great. Like, I, I love the little ode to his wife. Like, that's, I think, fantastic. And I, I like the fact that he looks like he feels more free to do his thing and be his his character and whatever on this program. I feel like more so than he ever has. I mean, I understand they brought him in as a heel, so you're getting a different dynamic. But, like, I just think the last two weeks of Andrade has been the best of Andrade so far. Yeah, Andrade's uh, one Miro of those too. guys. Yeah. Andrade's just always been one of those guys who was there and you just saw the world of potential in him, but they never utilized it. And not saying they have so far, but in the last two weeks against the House of Black, he's been awesome. And I'm, I wouldn't even call myself an Andrade fan. So that's saying something. Mm-hmm. It that- blows my mind still that Andrade is only 33 years old. Because I feel what? like I've been watching him forever. Yeah, that's wow. nutty. That's nutty. Uh, it, you know, world of potential. I mean, because you worry for some of these for some of these wrestlers. You know, we talk about LA Knight, and you know, number of chances there are left with Andrade. It still feels like we can capitalize on some of these. Let's do that, please. God, that just made me feel so old. <laughs> I I can remember in 2007 watching some young 21-year-old kid named Johnny Gargano in front of 200 people. And the fact that he is still young now, just like, all right, I'm old. It it comes for all of us. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) This is... The the greatest the greatest heel in wrestling right now, Aurelia and I have joked about this, that the best heel in wrestling right now is um oh now one trying Julia to Hart. forget her name. Julia, Julia Hart's Hart. Twitter account. Yes. Uh born November of two thousand one. Um, let's move on before I make myself more sad. Um, we'll move on to, uh, AEW Fight Forever has finally released, um, this game to say it's had a lengthy development (laughs) is, is an understatement. Reviews have come out. They seem to be pretty mixed. My general understanding, if I'm understanding things correctly, seems to me that the gameplay is fun, but there are a little bit of, there are some glitch issues in addition to, um, some surprising lack of content. Uh, current Metacritic score is uh, 65, which is very, eh. Um, I have yet to play the game, admittedly. Or I guess my question is, given the fact that this game has been, I think I feel like four years in 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 the making. They announced this November point. of 2020. Oh wow! And I think honestly, working on a board I, I honestly think that hurt them. They they mm. could have they could have waited on that because this long wait for this delivery is is rough. Now again, admittedly, I haven't played it either. It's it's currently on the Xbox. I just haven't had time to do it. Um, but 
uh, the, again, the, you, like you said, the, the reviews are mostly mixed. I, I'm excited to try it. Like I've heard good, positive things about the game. So I, I and, and when it comes to pro wrestling video games, I'm a slut for that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I, I, I will definitely play it and I'll probably enjoy the shit out of it for what it is. But again, I think that a lot of the criticism is coming from this community of people who think that this is going to somehow be a comparison to WWE and their 2K series, and it's not. Also, this is not going to be an annual release. This is something they've been talking about, how they want to build on this game going forward, which kind of... I mean, that that, kind of... If you want to buy the Elite Edition, makes it an $80 beta game. But if you're dedicated to that brand of wrestling and you do enjoy wrestling video games, you know, you're going to get it. And if it is becomes something that they build on and add characters to and add modes to, there's been talk of adding anarchy in the arena to this game. Um, I don't know how that goes down, but like, I mean, I I'm here for it. Like we have a, we have the first wrestling game with a barbed wire death match. I think but there's not enough being said about that. Uh, you get to throw a grenade at anyone. It, that, there's not enough being said about that. Um, but no, I, again, it, it's sad to see that it's getting the, as mixed of reviews as it is, but I'm still excited for it, and I can't wait to try it. Stay tuned, because I'll tell you. I'll tell you how I feel. I feel, like, I feel like there's a whole web of bad faith criticism of anything AEW. And that's just from someone who has been covering it for a while. It just seems there's always going to be that percentage of people that have to just crap on anything just because they're such loyalists to the the other brand or whatever it is. But that's the Internet, I guess. It just seems very specific in those terms. But as someone who hasn't played a game in 15 years and was able to pick this one up and pretty much get the hang of it, I don't know what everybody's complaining about. I'm not saying it's a perfect game and I don't know much about video games, but I've enjoyed it so far. I think my whole goal for this game was would I be able to pick this up, play it, have fun in like a party scenario with friends and play a wrestling game in that situation. And from everything I've seen, it looks like it does that well. So... I I have not gotten it yet. I do intend to very soon. I, once I have a little bit of time to actually play it, that will be good. But yeah, it looks like it's fun. And I'm always a little bit leery about, as just as a person who's heard this song and dance before, about any video game developer that says, but we're definitely going to support it over time. Um, but... If that is what they intend to do and they intend to add to this and this is just sort of they've got the base foundation done and now they're just going to tweak it a little bit, I think there's value to that. And I hope that that's what they're going to do going forward. Um, I also hope this isn't the Ukes and AEW's last collaboration and that they are able to work on another game in the future because... You know, this was, it's only going to continue to get better as you continue to iterate on this formula. If 2K is any indication, sometimes it's got to be a little bit rough before you get to something that you can actually enjoy. Absolutely. So we'll move on to our final story, which is regarding uh, going over Forbidden Door. Um, show in Toronto 
seems to be fairly well received. As is tradition on this show, I did not watch the pre-show. Um, did either of you watch the pre-show? And if so, are there any thoughts on it? I, I did not. So I have done. It was good. We got it. I watched it. Yeah. It was perfectly fine. It was essentially what a warm-up show should be. A couple of matches that fit the theme with the rest of the show and got other people a payday. Like, there's nothing I would say to write home about, but it was perfectly fine. I admittedly came close uh, seeing that El Fantasmo and Stu Grayson were going to have a match, but uh, sadly was not enough to bring me into it. Um, it was already a long night of wrestling. Yes. <laughs> that is the other thing that I... I have had one-sided conversations to Tony in the past on this show or on these shows, and this is going to continue. I am willing to accept one of your pay-per-views every year being four hours. You have to pick one. One of them gets to be four hours long. Everything else has to be done in a tight three. I can't keep doing these four-hour shows and even even this one, which was, you know, top to bottom, a very good show. I don't know that I had a match that I didn't at least somewhat enjoy. Um, it still felt by the end I was still tired. Yes, but I think I think part of that though was the pace that Osprey and Omega kept. By the end of that match, I needed a nap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Kyle, why don't we break this thing down match by match? All right, we'll start with uh, the beginning. I hear that's a good place to start. Um, MJF defeated Tana Hiroshi Tanahashi to retain his AEW championship. Um, I thought this match was good, but I will admit that after the last MJF title match, I do think that my, my expectations were a little bit high going in, too high going in. Yeah, Hiroshi Tanahashi is in, like, if any indicate, like, I'll say this, I was excited for him and Swerve Strickland on uh, Collision, but Hiroshi Tanahashi needs to take time off or be done. Like, that's my opinion of the guy. Absolute legend. A guy who I have enjoyed watching a ton in the past, but he's hurt. He's definitely hurt. There's no way you can. There's the way he gets around, the way that he he sells moves, and and then the way that he performs moves. This guy needs time off. And every time I see him booked on another show overseas, I'm just like, God, why why won't he just take the time off? Like when Tomohiro Ishii gets around better than you, that's a rough go. That's a rough go. <laughs> I I although I, I will find that. Sorry, go I, MJ. Go ahead. I was, I was going to say, I thought it was fun that MJF basically pulled the Brock Lesnar and said, I'm going on first. <laughs> yeah, I did appreciate that as well. The match itself, I, it was nice to see MJF lead a match. You, you could definitely tell that he was in charge of that one and uh, proves more and more and more to be uh, like the, the one of the best professional wrestlers in the world right now. I thought the match was perfectly fine. Like it was... It was more about the characters than the the wrestling, and that was a rarity on this show. But this was just Max being Max and working the heat, despite the fact that he's going to get cheered half the time anyway. And anytime, like I give away a ham at the end of every column because I enjoy over the top performances. And MJF could win every week if he wanted to. Like he's just that 
enjoyably silly. And I, I adore that. But this, yeah, Tanahashi looked hurt and it, I thought they played into it well, especially during the Swerve match. Like, Swerve is such a pro and just made that botch look like it was the selling knee and they didn't let it get to them. But it, it kicked off the show and set a tone enough, I thought. I agree with that. I think that's a good, that, yeah, that's a good assessment of, of how I feel about it. Um, move on to the next match. CM Punk defeated Satoshi Kojima in a match that was a first-round match for the Owen Hart Cup. We'll talk about the Owen Hart Cup after, because I do have a point I want to make for it. But um, I thought this was good. Yeah. It was CM Punk returning to being CM Punk. It was a surprising amount of crowd jeering. Um, I kind of expected a little bit, but, you know. I feel, um, I feel like the big, the, 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 the big cities that are not Chicago, I feel like, are going to boo him. Um, Toronto is obviously... We've had so much interaction with the Bucks and Kenny Omega over the last, like, decade that they're, they're you know, they might as well be all Canadian uh, because we're going to cheer for them, and they're fantastic, and we're going to love them. I love CM Punk, don't get me wrong, but I feel like he played right into this, and he did a great job playing the heel in this match because I think they realized right off the hop that they're not going to be able to do a match where he's playing the baby, the overwhelming baby face. I love the, the, the spot in the corner where he's he's hitting Kojima with the lariats and just he's screaming, Kojima, the whole time. Priceless. I thought CM Punk was just hilarious in that. Um, the, uh, the elbow drop to Punk's testicles, uh, was great as well. Uh, the tweet that came afterwards, <laughs> even better. Um, and man, I was really disappointed in this booking going into this pay-per-view thinking like Kojima's 52 years old. Like, what is this going to even be? This was a great match. This was a really, really good match. Uh, big ups to Kojima for having uh, the uh, the wherewithal to get through this at, at his age is, is something else. So I thought this was really, really good. CM Punk is my favorite wrestler of all time, and I adore when he's clearly enjoying being a shit. And he was being <laughs> one, and he was he was soaking up that crowd and just the crowd kept playing right into what he wanted to do. And he's so good at that, that he can go from hometown baby face to little shit in a week. And I, I love it. He, he clearly has a better time when he's doing that. And I want him to do it more. I feel like the match itself was a response to a lot of the criticism that he got about the soft comments where it was like, Oh, you're calling them soft and saying like, Oh, that, but you got mad when Hangman shot on you, so aren't you soft? And then he went, Oh, I'm just going to go get my fucking chest obliterated by Kojima. Those Shut the hell up. Machine gun chops. Oh. <laughs> Could not be me. I never even thought of that. That's great. Hey, the last thing CM Punk is is soft. I'll say that. Like, the man may have gotten his ass kicked in the UFC, but he was in the UFC. So, looking at the Owen Hart Cup writ large because i don't see a better transition to doing it than than right here um at least for the men's side we are now at semifinals, which are cm punk is facing samoa joe and powerhouse hobbs is facing ricky starks am i alone in thinking that ricky starks absolutely needs this i think hobbs does too but 
Um, it, I, I definitely think CM Punk's putting whoever the the person who's going to win this tournament is over. Either that, or he's going to go full heel and screw Ricky Starks out of it. Like I think those are the two potential ways for it to go, and either one is fine with me. But I I I am I feel like Ricky is like Ruby last year. Really, <sighs> really needs yeah. this one, and. And it's actually interesting because I would almost never say this, but I think it would be worse if Samoa Joe went into the final because he lost it last year. And I yeah. feel like it would be worse to lose it two years in a row than to get knocked out in the semifinals this year. I, I just I, I think Samoa Joe doesn't need the win on Punk. I, I think that he mm. is already established as number one. He's mostly a Ring of Honor guy for the most part, right? I think they're definitely going to have him on Collision, and there's definitely going to be mm-hmm. interaction between him and Punk. But that's money. They they did it 20 years ago, and it was never on television. Like this is an opportunity to finally. And while yes, both these guys are seasoned uh, when it comes to age, but I, I still think that they're both capable, obviously of going in there and having this great banger of a match. And it can be a program coming out of it. Like there's many directions you can go, but I really do like the idea of him turning heel and screwing Ricky Starks too. God. And then I, I, w- I just, after that, I want him to call himself like an honorary Canadian for, for the like next year while he's defend, you know, while he's the Owen Hart cup champion, like that would be great. Especially because he's obviously very, or very uh, much so um, booed in Canada at this point. Anyway, I haven't seen tonight's episode, so I won't know. Yeah, if if he won and immediately became Owen Hart in the Blackheart gimmick, like that—that's money. Just give give him give him the money. Seriously. <laughs> um, I will bring this up because I think it's it's worth mentioning now uh, for the women's tournament. Um, our semifinalists so far, Sky Blue is going to face the winner of Dr. Britt Baker and Ruby Soho, which is happening next week's Dynamite. And Willow Nightingale is facing Athena in the other semifinal. Um, thoughts on who should win? Because I am i don't have a solid answer for this one. This one, for me, is very up in the air. I think that um, I, there's a, a few different directions you could go. Um Britt Baker could win it again and be a two-time, you know, winner of this thing. I think that's kind of lame, personally. Um, Ruby could win, and it adds something to their outcasts group that has kind of been floundering for me uh, as a just an overall project for all three of them. I think that certainly I, I'm enjoying like Tony Storm more than I did a year ago, but I think that that's more work rate than anything character-wise. Um, but I also think that Willow Nightingale could take this whole tournament. And she is my favorite in the tournament. I, I think that a win over Athena and then a win over one of the top uh, women in the company, being Ruby or Britt Baker, is great for her. And I would really, really, really like to see that. Athena hasn't lost in a very long time. And I feel like she could be the person who takes it if sky blue scores an upset, but it's either going to be Ruby Willow or sky blue Athena. And I I have no problem with any of them winning. Mm-hmm. I feel like Ruby deserves it after she should have had it, had it last year, but there's, there's an argument for all four of them. I like all four of them. 
I just, I really want to see some progress in this Outcast storyline. I feel like they've been spinning in the same rut for the last three and a half months, and I just want something to move forward. Yeah, I, because I feel like the, this is the the problem I had ultimately with the with the Outcast storyline before. The biggest problem I had with it is it made Jamie Hader feel like an afterthought, and. I know at the end you didn't really have a choice because she got hurt, mm. but up until that point, she was the second most important person and her team of two, and she was the women's champion. Um, so at the very least, Tony Storm feels like the champion right now, but <clears throat> I agree. I They need a direction, and that direction needs to take the form of a person. Um, Willow Nightingale could be that person, although as we're going to mention later, she did just lose the uh, a match. I, I'm not sure. There's a lot of there's a couple directions you could go with this, but I do think the direction has to be a challenger who is going to stand up to them. And if that's not going to happen at, at a blood and guts scenario, then I'm not sure who it is. I feel like they were setting up for a five on five in some way where the Riho, Willow, Jamie, Britt, and Hikaru were going to mm-hmm. face the outcasts and, I don't know, Serena Deeb or somebody. But it was just like, Jamie getting hurt obviously didn't help, but it also felt like they were just doing the same match over and over and over again with the same shenanigans and the same, it was either outcast cheat or... Uh, they score a surprise upset despite the cheating. But either way, the storyline hasn't moved. And maybe they're stalling like they did with waiting for Chris Statlander to come back to beat Jade. But they they need to do something. And I think Ruby giving a really good promo last week mm. definitely helped their case. She should clearly be the talker of the three of them. But they just need to give us some stakes. What's going on? Why do we care? What is the whole... Like, we get that there's originals versus outcasts, and we've seen that kind of storyline done in many companies across many years. But there needs to be some kind of stakes, and there needs to be some definitive point where we're heading to, and it's felt aimless. Yeah, I, I feel like the the most important thing for me always for a heel is that a heel is at their best when I don't agree with the point they're making, but at least they have a point. And this group just feels like we're good. We're, we're good at the wrestles, which, uh, I mean, it doesn't work for WWE baby faces, so it wouldn't work for heels here. We'll move on. Um, <laughs> fatal four-way match. Orange Cassidy maintaining his iron grip over the international championship, defeating Zack Sabre Jr., um, Katsuyori Shibata, and Daniel Garcia. I thought Zack Sabre Jr. was fantastic in this match. Um, I am still enjoying this Orange Cassidy thing. I keep saying, you know, this should be the night that he should lose, and then he keeps not losing, and I keep not being upset about it. Yeah, that's kind of how we've been kind of going back and forth since September now. Like, he could have lost that title at any point, and it would have been like, good, he had some good matches. But no, no, we're we're still happy with the fact that we continue to see good matches. This was very good. Mm -hmm. This was a very good match. This match was so much fun. 
And I, I feel like everybody got featured in the best way possible. I will say this is the the only thing I want to say to the as a takeaway from this match is if we want to talk about people who are spinning their heels uh, or spinning their wheels, I should say, Daniel Garcia. Um, <laughs> can can we can he just like can he just fight Jericho already? Because <laughs> I I don't really have any more interest in another Jericho feud with other people at this point. So what, you don't want Jericho Sting? Come on! No, I do not. I do. Here's the thing I'll say: Chris Jericho is very good at being the. Um, he's very good at talking, obviously, but he's very good at being the um, sort of smarmy veteran wrestler who takes advantage of a good wrestler's inexperience, but is in there with a person who is at a higher work rate than Chris Jericho. We've talked about any number of his matches while he was the Ocho holding that ROH title, a particular highlight to his match against Bandito. Um, That is Chris Jericho at his best at this point. Interestingly, that's also Sting at his best at this point is when Sting doesn't have to be the high work rate person, but Sting can be the person who no sells, you know, surprising offense even though he shouldn't be able to no sell it because it should actually hurt him um but no if like this i don't have a problem with the match being a one-off and we'll get to the match when we get to it later but i no, i don't have no interest in a chris jericho long-term feud with sting yeah i have no interest in a long-term chris jericho feud right now because <laughs> they all the the previous ones have gone on way too long and they just don't make any sense is like i i was there when jericho wrestled ishii and like i enjoyed the ring of honor title reign that he had and then i was there in seattle when ricky starks beat him and it was like the feud went in reverse because ricky (laughs) starks won then we built the feud and had to have the big blow off and action andretti was involved too and that that feud just seemed to drag, and I feel like that's part of what stalled Ricky Starks' momentum. I don't know if Jericho needs another character refresh, if he needs to take some time off, but everything he's been involved with since he lost that Ring of Honor title has just felt like a friggin' slog. That's why I think the I think the reset can come with Daniel Garcia, and I think mm-hmm. we're at the point with Daniel Garcia that he's in the shadow of Jericho. The thing that we were worried or that, you know, the fans were worried about in the storyline has actually come to pass. Um, (laughs) He very feels like a bat. He very much feels like a background player in that massive stable. And it's also kind of odd to see Sammy Guevara involved in it too. Again, I'm hoping that's just a one-off, but because, you know, didn't he turn face like a week ago or three, I mean, two, three weeks ago? I don't know, a little earlier than that, but he's been a face. I don't, I don't know. They're doing think, with Guevara now what they should have been doing with Garcia. Yeah. Like he was turning face and then they were just like, well, no. And now Guevara's doing the same thing. So he has two people primed for face turns against him and they're not doing the full pull trigger on it. So we are left with the JAS, which is a joke at best. (laughs) And it's, 
once again, it's like the Outcast storyline. It needs to move somewhere. At this point, somebody needs to rip the JAS apart. And it could be either one of them. I'd prefer it to be Garcia because I feel like he needs more to do right now. But at this point, the stable has run its course. For a while now. Yes. Um, Moving on. Uh, Sonata defeated Jungle Boy Jack Perry in a match for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. The only thing I'm going to say about this match, and just talking about the match itself, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, I kind of wish this one was a little bit longer. I see that sentiment. I feel like that. I, I, okay. I, I definitely see that. But I also feel like Jack Perry probably wasn't the guy to go to go after the IWGP title. I, I just don't. Number one, Sonata's not an established enough champion to really have him go against a guy like Jungle Boy and have it be a successful match, in my opinion. A fully successful, anyway. There was nothing, like, super wrong with this match. It didn't feel like, you're right, it didn't get enough time. Didn't feel like it got to that next level. But I feel like if you would have, like, and and I don't want to, like, be this guy, but if you would have put a CM Punk in this situation... You would have had, I think, a little bit more heat for the world title of the company you're competing against. I just feel like the crowd kind of sat on their hands for this one. Until, of course, the end. I feel like the story of this match was, who are you and why am I bothering with you? And I think it succeeded at that. It was Sonata was almost like 98 Rock as champion, right? Mm. Like, who is this jungle boy? Little jabroni, what are you doing in the ring with the great one? And I enjoyed that for what it was. And it was Jungle Boy going, oh, I thought I could wrestle this guy and I'm getting embarrassed. And I, I feel like that was perfect to set up what what was obviously happening that's been building up since the MJF promo. But I feel like that was the perfect catalyst for the heel turn was, oh, I've done everything the way I was supposed to, and I just got embarrassed by this man who doesn't even know who I am. The match ended very, like, like abruptly, too. The moonsault did not seem like the way to beat Jack Perry. So the thing that everyone's talking about for this, uh, Jack Perry broke Taz. <laughs> um, what is this, like a goof? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the impressions uh, are fantastic. Thank you. Jungle Boy attacked Hook after the match, confirmed the heel turn um, on Twitter and then on Dynamite. Um, I'm ready for Hollywood Jack Perry. Anybody else? Yeah, but that promo wasn't good afterwards, man. That was really not good. Like, I'm not going to... I like Jack Perry, and I really want to see him successful, but that... I think there's a long way to go. I do like the fact that he dressed like Christian. I do like that. I, and, and people on, on Twitter were the ones to point it out to me. He dressed exactly like Christian Cage when he made that, when he did that promo. It's just unfortunate that the words that came out of his mouth didn't deliver the way they probably should have. There's time. This guy's so young. He's so good. Like, I, I'm excited for this heel turn. But, like, I also feel like Hook's going to waste him at Wembley. I think that's the point, though, because I feel like Jungle Boy is doing a Christian cosplay right now, and Christian and Luchasaurus are just going to be like, 
oh, everything happened the way we said it was, didn't it? And now then they're going to take him back in and suddenly they're going to be this trio faction again, but they're going to be heels and Jungle Boy is going to be learning directly from him. And I feel like that's where it's going. I mean, I feel like he is going to fail against Hook and that's going to be where Christian is just standing there shaking his head like, I really like that. I really, really hope that that's what happens. That sounds amazing. Like Christian taught him how to be a face. Now he's going to teach him how to be a heel. And I feel like that's going to be what pushes him to where he needs to be. I thought, I thought the promo was intentionally bad. I, I didn't realize that people didn't like it, but I also don't have a Twitter and I feel like that's a good thing. Most of the time. <laughs> Accurate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> It, it felt like a 13-year-old kid playing grown-up heel. Like, that's that's really what it felt like to me. So I thought that was the point. But <laughs> I don't know if that's what it is. That's just how it read to me. Moving on, the Elite and Friends... Friends? Uh, defeated Blackpool Combat Club and also Friends. I There was a 10-man tag match and... The elite and other people, the faces won. Um, this one was a lot. <laughs> shout out, shout out to Tomohiro Ishii in this match, man. That guy worked his ass off. This match was fun. It was so much fun. I mean, that's the thing. I'll say this Blackpool Combat Club, they're in an interesting place as a group. But they continue to deliver these banger matches. And also, seeing Eddie Kingston and John Moxley as the best friends that have to fight each other, that it's very good. It is very good, and I'm very much looking forward to what the direction of that, if that's going to be paid off in some way. Um, is Takeshita a part of this, or is he still sort of doing his own thing? I don't know if they fully hit that on the head or not, but I have missed uh, a few dynamites and, and, and a collision in between. So he may be part of the BCC. If he is, I don't know about it. He did bleed with them. So, I mean, they, they did set that up. Callus did too. So that that's their rules, right? You got to bleed with us to be with us. Yeah. So I don't know if it's official or anything, but it, it seems implied. It's in a bad direction. Um I mean, especially now they could always use an extra person because I'm not sure that Brian Danielson's going to be around for a little bit. Um, I don't know that I have more thoughts about this, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm kind of just happy that Eddie Kingston's <laughs> back doing stuff. I want Eddie Kingston showing up to random events and just yelling at people. That is one of my favorite things ever. <laughs> like the way he just showed up on Dynamite and just started yelling during the match. Like I want that, but everything. <laughs> Um, we, uh, anything else we want to talk about for this match or we want to move along? I think they booked themselves into a corner though, haven't they? Like they're up two one now in this feud. So mm. I feel like the BCC have to win blood and guts now. Yeah. I, now. And the question is now, and it's interesting that now both of the potential blood and guts matches might be delayed. I'm not sure if we've confirmed the, I guess we'll get to the injury later, but I, I know I'm not sure if there's a time frame on it yet. But... Well, blood and guts is in a few weeks, so he won't be there. That. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see what we'll see what they decide to do. Um, Tony Storm 
defeated Willow Nightingale, defending her AEW Women's Championship. Um, aside from my usual feelings that Willow Nightingale is a delight, and I am always happy to see her whenever she is on television, and more of her, please. Um, I thought this was good. I have this, you know, the, and we've talked about this for a long time. Tony Storm is a little bit perpetually frustrating because she'll have great matches, but I don't know if it does anything to build anything. And she's now held this title in some capacity twice, had great matches on with both of those reigns, but she, I don't know. There's, there's an element that she almost feels like the third most important person in this group. Maybe I vacillate between her and, and, and Ruby, but um, it's hard to say. Am I off base on this? I don't think so. I, I think that Tony is becoming a better character, but I don't think she feels like an authentic character at the same time. Mm. And I, I think they're victims of this never ending, never going anywhere storyline. But I feel like Ruby Ruby's promo on Wednesday is giving this direction. I hope that's what it's, I hope that's what it is. But at this point, like I hate when faces are idiots. I truly do. Because after three and a half months or however long it's been, it, oh, Tony's coming out with her two friends. Maybe I shouldn't wait to bring my friends out to, to balance this out. How am I still <laughs> falling for this? Oh, yeah, I, I agree. It, I feel like this kind of has to build to something. Blood and Guts is soon. I don't think they've booked anything on this. I feel like it. I feel like something's got to pay off there, and I don't know if they're going to. And it feels like a waste if they don't. This is the opportunity to to take this storyline that you have have been trying to get to a certain level for months and months and months and has not gotten there, and at least deliver a disgustingly bloody match that people are going to love because it is badass all hell to see the women going out there and competing at the same violent level as the men. I, I feel like it's needed, honestly. Like, they've been hinting at it. We, we've seen this in Dynamites, where they've made, made references to war and blood and guts and all these things. This is needed. Like, I, I know they've booked the men's one for the, uh, I think it's the Boston show. The women's match should happen there, too. I would like to see them open and close a dynamite or maybe one's on dynamite. The other one's on collision, whichever you want to do. I think that's that's a great way to get numbers for both shows. Um, personally, like I, I don't I think if you don't do a blood and guts match, you really hampering what you're doing with this feud. Like that's I feel like the direction they need to go in. And if they don't, what are you doing here? Hmm. That's where I thought they were heading until Jamie got hurt. And like I said, now I feel like they're stalling until she can be back in it. And we know who the originals are going to be on, in the five on five. I don't know who's going to join the other two unless it's, like I said, Serena or Athena probably is another good candidate for that group. But they, they need to do that. I, I don't feel like it can be done by the Boston show, but they need to start pushing in that direction. They need to have Jamie come back and just, we need to make this thing into, I, I said it earlier, something with stakes, right? Blood and guts, that has stakes. It is these two versus these whatever. And just make it happen instead of micro matches within this feud that have the same result. Um, 
personally, if you're not going to get Jamie Hader back for it, have Jade Cargill be part of the the AW Originals. Yeah, that would work too. I was going to say that. Yeah. Um, we'll move on. I don't know if I have a lot to say about this match aside from, oh my goodness, it was a lot and it was amazing. Uh, Will Ospreay defeated Kenny Omega to win the IWGP United States Championship. Um, the only the only weird thing is like, is Don Callis actually with Will Ospreay or is he just trolling at this point? I think he's trolling. I just think that he's he he was there for the match just to further the feud with him and and Kenny Omega. I don't see him showing up in New Japan and doing stuff with him there. And I honestly like I don't think Will Ospreay needs him. Number one, he's already got a faction. I know one of them's hurt, but no. like uh, you also have um Jeff Cobb who can come in and and back him like there, there's you can add somebody to the group like you you don't need Don Callis at this point. Don Callis should be there to work with Takeshita. I think that's the perfect fit for him. Uh, if you want to do stuff with the BCC, sure. But I just don't think that he's necessary for Will Ospreay at all. This match was one of the best wrestling matches I've ever seen in my life. I from beginning to end I was on the edge of my seat. Uh some of the the only thing that really bothered me in this match was the Tiger Driver. I thought that that was incredibly reckless, but that that's that's just me and that's after watching numerous guys take moves like that for years and years and years, but that was it was that was a little bit too much for me. Otherwise otherwise these guys just burned the house down and I feel terrible for the two matches that followed. And (laughs) Brian Danielson said in the press conference too, he didn't want to follow this match. He said that to Tony. He's I I don't want to go on after them. Like there's no way they gave them 40 minutes. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I understand why it wasn't the final match, but they sure treated it like it minus the, the placing on the card. Um, yeah, I don't have anything to say about this. This was incredible. I don't feel as strongly about the Tiger Driver. Um, Kenny Omega is one of the best kick out at one people in the in the world in the history of wrestling. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, this is. I would have to go back and actually look at my list because I am slowly making a list of match of the year candidates. I don't know if I can think of one that's better than this one. Yeah, and, and, and good luck to anybody else who's going to try and beat it. The wrestling itself, yeah, some of the best I've ever seen. No doubt about that. I said earlier, I hate when faces are idiots. I hate when refs are idiots, too. And what was the point mm. of ejecting him if he can just come back, right? Because he saw him come back. He, he Callis walks right up there, and the ref is just like, hey! And then nothing happens. And then he stays there for another five or six minutes. And it was just like, well, what's the point of the ejection then like if he if he can just come back that made no sense that was the only complaint i had about it it's fair complaint. And, and, and unfortunately i've been frustrated with AEW. i was gonna say past. unfortunately that's an AEW trope for sure <laughs> um yeah i don't know if i have too much more to say about this this is really really good if you if you're gonna watch anything in this show this is the thing to watch absolutely absolutely Good luck to the rest of the wrestlers in the world trying to trying to have a better match than these two did. Because, like, I think come Dece- late December, we're going to be talking about this match again. Um, Sting, Darby Allen, and Tetsuya Naito. Can't believe I'm saying that. 
defeated the Suzuki Gods uh, in a six-man tag match. I thought the match was pretty good, but I think the crowd was just exhausted. Yeah. They they popped for one part in this match, and that was the pose. And we had a 630 delivered to Sting on the outside <laughs> on a table, and they didn't react to that. But Suzuki putting his elbow on Jericho's head and posing with them, people love that shit. <laughs> and you know what? It was more it, murder, was... Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, like... Sting has been a revelation since he came to AEW. He does it smart. He gets in there in tag matches. He has big spots. He dove off a fucking ladder on Dynamite this week. Like, to the outside. And from what I heard, barely hit that tape. Now, I didn't see it, but Uh I heard. Um, He busted his damn mouth. (laughs) That being said, Minoru Suzuki is living his best life right now. He is. Absolutely. And and I honestly think that, uh, to a certain degree, all of these guys are. Like, Sammy Guevara is top of the world in, in, in regards to yeah. wrestling ability. He's about to have a baby girl, which is going to make him a baby face. Uh, Chris Jericho, as much as we all have issues with the feuds he's been having, he's really just on top of the world. I think by his own doing, though. Like, he's definitely worked himself into that spot. And, and you know what? We're all from, you know, we, we all have Winnipeg connections, so we understand. But uh, Sting, again, living his best life. Darby, living his best life. Uh, this match was fun. That's that's what wrestling's supposed to be sometimes, is just fun. It was a good buffer match between the two main events. And, you know, I, I did I, a lot of people criticized this match for being what it was. But what did you expect? Was Sting supposed to move? That was the one question I had. Was he supposed to move? That is a very good question. I think he was. I definitely think he was. Right? (laughs) But he does no sell things. We know this about Sting. That's true. It's it's always. And it looked like Sammy was the one who got hurt. Was he supposed to say Cody's (laughs) name? We never know with Sting. Sting is an enigma. Um, Main event. Brian Danielson defeated Kazuchika Okada with a broken freaking forearm. <laughs> um, yeah, this this was this was really good. The injury obviously did hamper some things, and there's no there was no real way around that. And um. This being at the it obviously being at the end of a four hour night of wrestling, especially with some of the matches that we've already talked about, was difficult. But credit to both these two guys because I thought they delivered a heck of a match. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. I I think that this match, uh, like you said, obviously hampered by the fact that Danielson got hurt. But holy crap, like. This was on the uh, on the way to being a great dream match. I'm sure we were getting to the numerous uh, two count segment of the match, but obviously, you know, for whatever reason, we didn't get to that point. And I, I think it's great to see Okada lose on a show like this. I think it's great for Danielson to be able to get that win over him. So we obviously get a rematch down the road. Um, this was everything it should have been. And, and and injury aside, like, this was great. I, I really enjoyed this quite a bit. I became a little kid the minute I heard the opening synth to the final countdown. Like, the show could have ended there. <laughs> the sh- yes. But, Absolutely. 
I also feel like Danielson doesn't have to go away. I mean, I don't think he's wrestling anytime soon, but he already wasn't. He was on commentary most of the time and kind of the mouthpiece. He's almost what Regal was supposed to be in the BCC. So I feel like this is just an opportunity for him to do that even more because he can't wrestle instead of because he's not wrestling. But this match itself, like, it was so badass. And because it's Danielson, of course he finished the match. Of course he's one of the toughest people I've ever seen. And I thought it was made because of that. Like, people love that Cody match where he had the torn pack. I feel like this was along those same lines. It's like he wrestled for 10 more minutes with a broken arm and... And submitted an arm lock. Yeah. But anyway, um, last, I guess last question about this. Given what happened last year, is Kazuchika Okada at Forbidden Door Cursed? Is Forbidden Door Cursed? Yeah. Ooh, yeah, I mean, both, b- both times so he's wrestled, cursed. someone's gotten injured. That's interesting. We'll find out next year. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be back. Um, overall thoughts on this show. I thought could be quick about this. This was, for me, this was basically everything I wanted out of a, a super show like this. Like, talk about shows, you know, having, or, you know, uh, having weird or underbuilds in AEW and then delivering in a big way. This show just sort of discards the need for a build and then just delivers great matches. And I thought that was all I needed out of of Forbidden Door. It's kind of, I feel like, what the point of the show is. Is this your pay-per-view of the year so far? Yeah, I think it is. Okay. All right. What about you, Marissa? I love this. This was, in my opinion, one of the best nights of wrestling I've ever seen. And I don't really care that there's no build for this because I feel like one of the bad faith complaints is, oh, I don't know who these people are. Well, neither do I. I didn't know who any of these people were from NJPW before last year's Forbidden Door. I have the Google machine. I can figure that out. But I feel like the whole point of Forbidden Door is almost like an all-star exhibition game. It's not supposed to be a thing where a bunch of storylines are paying off. It's like, here's our best. Here's their best. Let's just throw them together like action figures. Like I, I always thought that was the point, but I, I loved it. I loved finding out what the people I saw last year were up to. Cause this is when they come back around again, I got introduced to some new people and yeah, I, I enjoy that. I, I feel like wrestling fans sometimes are just like, Oh, you didn't tell us who this person was. It's like, that that thing in your hand, you can look up a name. I, I assure you, it works. But there's always going to be people who have something to complain about. I I was writing for I I write my live thoughts. I I wrote for every minute of this show, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, you you mentioned that you didn't know anybody from New Japan beforehand. Uh, the last two years, who's somebody who stands out for you? A favorite, perhaps. I feel like Okada just has that presence. I, I really feel like he just seems like someone who immediately shows up and that's all he needs to do. Uh, Jay White was someone who really stood out to me last year. He was someone that just had that factor. And I feel like they're they're going to build him up in AEW more with this Bullet Club Gold thing. I, I, I feel like that's going somewhere. I, I didn't... Tanahashi was someone more who was just on the reputation of what people were saying about him. 
Osprey, obviously, I was really impressed with his match with Orange Cassidy last year, and then this year, ungodly wrestling match. But like, there's all these new people that I get to see, and it's really fun. I I like the guy who's with uh, Mox's protege. I thought he was a lot of fun. Uh, was is it Shoto? Uh, Shoto Umino, yeah, yeah. I I really enjoyed him too. And then I didn't know who Kojima was, but I I enjoyed watching him and CM Punk hit the hell out of each other. That was awesome. So I'm not disappointed at all. I all these new people I get to learn about, and that's why I love AEW because I I was not watching wrestling for good four or five years. I stopped writing about it. And then I learned about AEW and started seeing all of the people who were coming in. And it, they made me love wrestling again. And shows like this are why. I always love a reaction Couldn't like that. I agree with you more. Um, mm, um, people like Will Ospreay, I feel like, understand that wrestling can both be really serious, athletic, and athletically impressive, and also very silly. Yes. And I feel like that gets lost too often, that sometimes wrestling's supposed to be silly. And Orange Cassidy is, you know, the absolute master of this, obviously. But the, the thing I appreciated about this show and the thing I appreciate every really good um, AEW pay-per-view is that you get a great mix of different things. You get a mix of styles. You get a mix of, um, yeah, just get a, a nice um, a nice mix of different uh, wrestling matches and a lot of different things that I get to enjoy. So this was this was a great show and it was exciting to see. I'm glad I got to, to got to watch it. Absolutely. Uh, so we've reached the end of uh, our show. Uh, Marissa, thank you so very much for coming on to the show. Is there anything you'd like to plug before we leave? Yeah, uh, wrestlingheadlines.com. I'm writing my column every AEW show that I can. I obviously miss Collision tonight, but you can visit me there. If you want to hear me on other podcasts, just put my name into your podcast app. I promise you I'll come up. I've been podcasting for over seven years, so I've been on a few shows and I've made a few shows of my own. So, uh, yeah. In layman's terms, I think I'm on column number 436 at this point because I, I started in 2011 writing columns and I was covering WWE until about 2018. And then I got sick of Vince McMahon and WWE. And then I found about, out about AEW and I brought it back. So that's it, wrestling related. That's that's my thing right there. Be sure uh, to check out that column, wrestlingheadlines.com in layman's terms. Um, so we've reached the end of our first episode of the Wallop Roundup. Thank you so much for listening, and you have been walloped. Keep calm and wallop on. You've been listening to a Wallop Media podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Wallop Media. The hosts of our shows are Rylan, Kyle, and DK. You can find Rylan on Twitter at Rylan Wallop and Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Wallop. Production is by RJ Spearin. You can find his work at facebook.com slash spearkingco. Logo designs are by Maisie Mulder. You can find her work on her website, maisiemulderdesigns.com. Our podcasts are hosted by Acast. You can listen to them on the podcast catcher of your choice or on our website, shows.acast.com slash wallopmedia.